0: Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus explains His mission for His earthly ministry. And He says in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Very simple mission. Seek and save those who are lost. Everything He did was in order to accomplish this mission. His teaching was in order to accomplish this mission. His training of the apostles was in order to accomplish this mission. His death, His burial, His resurrection was in order to accomplish this mission. And when He ascended and left the apostles and those 120 behind and sent the Spirit on the apostles in Acts chapter 2, it was all in order to accomplish this mission. And He left us, His church, behind to continue on in this mission to carry on with this goal, to seek and to save that which is lost. And so we have to ask the question, how are we doing on that goal? Have we accomplished that mission here in the Middle Tennessee area? Have we sought and saved all those who are lost? I think we all recognize, no, we haven't. We've been working at it, but we haven't accomplished that goal. We haven't reached that mission completely, and so we still have to work on it. We still have to strive for it. And so we ask ourselves the question, how do we do that? How do we seek the lost? How do we save the lost? We live in a time of mass advertising. To seek the lost, we could rent billboards and put signs up in that way. We can put shows on televisions and on the radio. We could hire telemarketers to call folks. We could have all kinds of things that we put out signs, mass mailings, so many things that we could do. Do you recognize, however, even in our day and age, even with all this ability to mass advertise and get the message out, that no matter what you're talking about spreading or selling or getting out to the public, do you know what the number one way to get anything out is? Word of mouth. Every company and every corporation understands that. Even the ones that spend millions of dollars on advertising with billboards and television commercials and radio, they understand that the best way for their product to sell is to get folks talking about their product and to let other folks know you ought to try it. And it's the exact same thing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. While we can and probably will do some things of mass advertising, the number one way for us to seek and to save the lost is for individual Christians to be busy telling folks about the gospel, to get that out by word of mouth. And suddenly the frightening thing comes upon us. When we recognize that the great weight of spreading the gospel rests upon our shoulders as individual Christians, we might ask ourselves, how do we get that done? I'd like to share with you a formula that will allow us to have the maximum impact here in Franklin and the Middle Tennessee area. I wish I could tell you that as far as the formulation of this formula that I developed it, but I didn't. I'll admit to you that I read it somewhere. A fellow named Bill Hybels wrote a book which he calls Becoming a Contagious Christian. And while I disagree with Bill Heibel's theology... And while I disagree with his plan of salvation, I certainly believe when it comes to the issues of evangelism and this little formula that he's developed, he perhaps grasps some things regarding evangelism that sometimes eludes us. And I'd just like to share it with you because it's very simple and I think you'll find it very helpful as you decide to spread the gospel and help accomplish this mission of seeking and saving that which is lost. Does this look familiar? Any of you guys who took chemistry in high school? Don't you love these kind of formulas? HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. Or, high potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. And that's exactly what we want. Maximum impact. If we're going to spread the gospel and seek and save those who are lost, the very first key in this formula in this equation is we've got to have high potency. Look in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to His disciples, Matthew 5:13, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. We're the salt of the earth, and yet we're supposed to have taste. We're supposed to have savor and flavor and potency. If the salt has lost its taste and its potency, it doesn't do any good, neither as a seasoner or as a preserver. And so we recognize that we've got to have high potency if we're going to have maximum impact. Seek and save those who are lost. What does that mean? Take a look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul says in Romans 12 and verse 2 as he speaks to us as Christians, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove that so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We're supposed to be different from the world. We're supposed to stand out. Salt of the earth, the flavor, the difference. People want to be able to look at us and tell that we're different from everybody else. We stand out because we're highly potent, powerful different. People ought to be able to see it. Now, this does not mean that we've got to turn into a bunch of Jesus freaks, Bible thumpers, and radical Christians. That's not what's being mentioned here. I recognize, of course, that we can live our faith in as diplomatic a way as possible, and some folks will still be offended, but God has not expected us to wear our Christianity on our sleeve in a way that is offensive to people. He hasn't expected that. Rather, I saw an interesting sign this week that I think sums it up quite well. Pointed out that God wants spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. But how do we have that? How do we demonstrate standing out and being different? I think that sign kind of said, oh, what's God want from us? He wants spiritual fruit. Do you want to be highly potent? Do you want to stand out and be different from the world? Look in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. There is a guide for standing out. And it has to do with bearing spiritual fruit. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, the Scripture reads, "...but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness..." faithfulness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. There's the fruit that we ought to bear. Let me ask you, if we were living according to this, if we were bearing this fruit, do you think we would stand out as different? If folks looked at us and saw that we were guided by love, trying to help others and look for what was best for them, and not out just to get for our own, would we stand out as different? I think we certainly would. If people saw that we were governed by joy, no matter what came our way, that we were able to maintain a joy in Christ because we're forgiven of our sins and we know no matter what Satan hurls at us here, we're going to heaven. Do you think if people saw us with that abiding joy that we would stand out as different? We certainly would. If folks saw that we had a continual peace, despite the ups and downs of life and the emotional roller coasters on which we can find ourselves, that we have that same basis of peace in Christ. Do you think we would stand out as different? We most certainly would. If folks saw us with kindness and patience and gentleness and self-control, would we stand out? If you lived all those characteristics at work, at school, at home, in your neighborhood, would people be able to tell that you're different? You know that they would. Because that's not what our world is like. But that's what we're supposed to be like. And when we're highly potent with the fruit of the Spirit, people will be looking at us and saying, I want what they've got. And then the doors get opened. This is the first key in being able to spread the gospel and being able to seek and to save those who are lost. But not only do we have to have high potency, we've also got to have close proximity. Salt's awesome. And it can have all the taste and savor and flavor in the world, but if we leave it in the salt shaker on the table, it's not going to do any good, is it? It's not going to season. It's not going to preserve. It's not going to do anything. How do we get that stuff to work? We've got to get in close proximity to whatever we're trying to flavor or preserve, don't we? When Jesus says that we're the salt of the earth, in order to accomplish that, we've got to get in there and be close. Have proximity to those who are lost. That's exactly what Jesus did. How many times did Jesus get in trouble for spending time with the wrong people? Look in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, in verse 30, in Luke chapter 5 and verse 30, the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at Jesus' disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You're hanging out with the wrong people. You're rubbing elbows with these sinful people. You're supposed to be separate and apart from them. What does Jesus say verse 31 of Luke 5? It is not those who are well who need a position, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If a doctor's going to do his job, he's not going to spend all his time around people that are healthy. Who's he going to be around? He's going to be around sick people, isn't he? He can't do his job unless he gets around sick people. Jesus points out, I'm here to seek and save the lost. I can't do that. I can't call sinners to repentance. But I don't spend time with sinners. Luke 15. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. This ought to sound familiar. We've read this passage the last three Sundays. Now all tax collectors and the sinners were coming near Him to listen to Him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. You're hanging out with the wrong people, Jesus. How can you spend time with them? And Jesus told those three stories that we've looked at. The parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. And He pointed out to these Pharisees, That you ought to rejoice that we're bringing these sinners back to the Father and the children that are lost are being brought back. But there's no way to get those lost ones back to the Father without us spending some time with them. We've got to be around them. Do not misunderstand. And I'm I'm not trying to use this to justify, as some Christians do, justifying being involved in sinful activity and saying, oh, I'm I'm just trying to be with those sinners. You know, we've got to be with sinners to save them. That doesn't justify us being involved in sinful activity. Nor does that justify us having as our best and and most common friends those who are in the world. We've got to take care. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Remember what that says? Paul says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. We've got to be very careful in spending time with those who are sinners and the things that we're dealing with them because bad company can corrupt good morals. But I'm afraid at times that we have taken this passage to such an extreme that we don't even spend any time in the company of sinners and we can't save them. We cannot save the lost unless we are around the lost. And sometimes we're so afraid of being guilty by association that we don't spend the time with sinners that it takes to be able to call them to repentance. Look in Matthew 11 and verse 29. Matthew chapter 11. Excuse me, not verse 29. Verse 19. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 19, notice what Jesus says. Matthew 11 and verse 19, "...the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners." Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Jesus came in and He lived a righteous life, and yet folks still made all these claims. Why? Because He spent time with the sinners and the tax collectors. Oh! He's a glutton and a wine-bibber. He spends all His time with, with tax collectors and sinners. How awful! We shouldn't follow after that man. But notice Jesus says, Wisdom is vindicated by His deeds. Jesus was not afraid to be falsely accused. He continued to rub elbows with sinners. Because remember, in Luke 19, 10, what was His mission? To seek and save the lost. I cannot look for the lost when all I ever do is hang out among the saved. I've got to go where the lost are. That's what Jesus did. We've got to figure out ways to do that. We can be very spiritually minded and have all kinds of spiritual fruit, but if we do not get around sinners, we can't teach them, and they can't be saved. The third key, high potency, close proximity, clear communication. We've got to be able to clearly communicate the saving gospel of Jesus Christ to people. Otherwise, they cannot be saved. You can read through the book of Acts. There is not a single solitary case of conversion that was not preceded by teaching. The gospel is spread by teaching. There's no other way to do it. Look in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, beginning at about verse 13. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, the scripture there says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent just as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. He says there's no way for people to call on the name of the Lord unless somebody is teaching them. It's impossible. We cannot have the maximum impact here in Franklin in the middle Tennessee area until we clearly communicate the Gospel's message to folks. There is no other way for people to be saved other than obeying the teaching. Look in Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul said, "...but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness." How do they do that? They were obedient to the teaching. Folks can't be obedient to teaching that they never hear. The only way for us to get that message out is to be able to teach it. What does that mean for us? That means, brethren, that you and I have got to figure out how we're going to communicate the gospel. There's no set mold for that. You don't have to do that necessarily the same way that I would do that. We all have to teach the same saving message through Jesus Christ, but we don't necessarily have to do it all the same way. You might you might have a different way to clearly communicate the gospel. Perhaps you'll sit down with somebody and tell them about the things that you did to obey the gospel and show them the passages that you obeyed and just sit down and tell them that. Perhaps you'll have a one-on-one study with somebody using material that you sat down and wrote out. Or maybe you'll take material that somebody else has written and you'll go and you'll use that. Maybe you'll have a group study in your home and use that to teach folks. Maybe you'll give people articles or sermon outlines or tapes. Really, the issue is not how you clearly communicate the gospel. The issue is simply that you do clearly communicate the gospel. And we have to understand, our example, the spiritual fruit, that opens the door. But nobody learns from your example on the job how to obey the gospel of Christ in baptism. They're only going to learn that if you clearly communicate it to them. we've got to have a plan for that and it doesn't you don't have to follow my plan you just need to have a plan and how you can accomplish that clearly communicating the gospel but here's the key the thing that we have to recognize is that in order for us to have maximum impact we've got to have all Three of these things. We've got to have high potency, close proximity, and clear communication. You see, if we remove the clear communication, we will not have the maximum impact. They may see us as awesome, fruit bearing Christians. We may be around them, and they may know what we are and want to be what we are. But without that clear communication, they cannot know how to become what we are. What did Romans 10 say? Unless folks go out teaching, they're not going to know. We've got to have that. If we take away the close proximity, we might be bearing all kinds of spiritual fruit. We might know all the ways to teach the gospel, but we won't ever be around anybody who's lost to be able to teach it to them. They won't be able to see the potency. They won't be able to hear the communication because we are not around them. Even Jesus, in order to seek and save the lost, remember Luke chapter 5, He said, I've got to go among the sick to heal them. The physician has to go and be with the sick to heal them. If I want to call sinners to repentance, I've got to go be with the sinners. If we took away the high potency, the spiritual fruit, we might be around the sinners and we might know how to tell them how to believe the gospel. We can sit down and have all kinds of Bible studies with them. But if they can't see the spiritual fruit in their lives, they have no reason to do what we teach them. Because we'll be to them nothing more than Hypocrites. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 15 that we should be lights and our light shouldn't be hidden under a bushel. We've got to have all three of these keys if we're going to have maximum impact. We've got to be bearing the fruit. We've got to spend time with sinners. and We've got to be able to communicate that gospel to them. And when we do that, we will impact Franklin at the Middle Tennessee area. We will draw people into Christ because they'll want what we have. Because they'll be able to see who we are. And they'll be able to hear how to be like us. But we've got to have all three. Now, you can do this. I can do this. We can all do this. All it entails is looking at the Scripture and being what God has said. Being around others for them to see it. Being able to tell them what the Scripture says. That's, that's it. Let me say, this is not rocket science. You don't have to understand chemistry and physics and all of those things, brain surgery, to be able to teach the Gospel. Just go to the Scripture. I know a man who, in order to clearly communicate the Gospel, he has a sheet of paper, and he's just gone through and picked out about 20 Scriptures. And he's just got them listed there. And he sits down with somebody and says, let's start at this one in Proverbs. Starts with a passage that says, there's a way that seems right to a man and its end is in the way of death. And he goes all the way through and gets down to what the Bible says about baptism. That's that's all he does. We can all do that. There's material written. We can use that. We've got to demonstrate the fruit. Be around those who need to see the fruit. And have a plan for clearly communicating the gospel to them. And then we can impact people. I'm not saying that if we do this, everybody in Franklin is going to be saved. There will always be those who, no matter what we do, will not listen. But we'll be accomplishing our job. We'll be planting the seed, and we'll be watering the seed. And we can leave the increase up to God. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted and Apollos watered, but the Lord was giving the increase. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. If we do our part, God will do His. His gospel will not return to Him void. If we follow this formula, we will impact our friends, our relatives, our neighbors, will impact this area. I believe we can do this. How about you? That's the time, remember, brethren, supposed to say what? Amen. Thank you very much. I believe we can do this. How about you? Yeah, all right. There we go. I just want to make sure you all agree with me on that.